last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. Matt Kelly knows Dynasty League football better than Mike Clay. And if you want to post a tweet that gets zero likes and zero retweets, <laughs> post a tweet of rain. And I feel like this is some elaborate rationalization for you being bad on the show. But yeah, I've made some excuses in my day on this show. Sure. Sure. Better than 75 percent, maybe. But this time, this one here, it's legit. And I know that we really piqued your curiosity last time with the rookies. And I know you got real charged up and you're excited. You know, you're erect. I get it. Now you want a happy ending with the wide receivers. And we're not going to give it to you. That'd be like take a girl out to dinner and a movie and she decides to have sex with you. And then you <laughs> thinking that on the next date, take it to a nightclub and it's time for anal. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. Matt, this is a little later than normal, but what's going on? Find me on Twitter where the buzzards are confusing the things that I say with the things that you say, claiming that I was mocking Latavius Murray's eye alignment. That wasn't me. I might have laughed, but it was Nate Liss who was mocking a person's shortcomings. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's a recommendation I've made to Nate, and he refuses to listen to me, is we criticize actions. We don't criticize individual traits. We don't get personal, and we don't criticize how people look. We criticize their actions, but Nate Liss doesn't have these rules. Nate Liss is fine mocking people for how they look and for any kind of physical shortcoming, as we saw with Latavius Murray's eye alignment. And what I said as a follow-up was, are you saying that this is impacting his vision? Is he missing open running lanes because he's cross-eyed? Is this what you're trying to say? I was asking a follow-up, and I was probably laughing while I was asking it because of the ridiculousness of the observation. But that was on Nate. That wasn't on me. I was legitimately concerned about Latavius Murray and his vision. I was concerned that maybe no, the angle, the vector at no. which he was looking wrong, was no. going against his abilities on the field. It no, seems weren't. like it makes sense. It wasn't a it wasn't a joke about his his visual. Yes, it was. You know, no, it might yes, have been a little You're bit. lying right now. You're lying. You were just making fun of a guy because he's cross-eyed. You were not actually concerned about his vision. So you agree is cross-eyed. This is what I do not do. Oh, I go. do not make fun of people's physical traits. It's not something that I believe is within the decorum of the show. I've tried to explain this to you on countless occasions that that's just not something that we do. We can attack ideas. We can attack behavior. We can attack actions. But you don't attack physical traits that people have no control over. I don't know how to respond to that. That's, That's the a stuff that bullies do, Nate. You're a bully. Just admit it. You're a bully who's making fun of how people look, 
And uh, that's not something that I believe is acceptable. And if I laughed at it in a previous show, then oh, I laughed on. at it. Then I'm going to laugh. Sometimes the things that bullies do is funny. It is. Sometimes if you smash an egg on someone's head, it can be funny. It is. It is. It is. It's funny sometimes. But that doesn't mean I would do it myself. And do not at me on Twitter accusing me of making fun of people's personal traits i would never do that he laughed at it though that is true let's start off the show with a buzzard email matt what do you say it's the first one of the season this is the problem i have hosting <laughs> with someone who is a loose cannon and a bully oh is that i get dragged down into the mud these things get conflated and people associate your mockery with me and it's disappointing and that's one of the reasons why I've told you to stop it, but I have a feeling you're not going to stop it because you're a caveman and I'm a sophisticated individual. That's oh the difference God. between the two of us. Okay, you uh. sleep outside. So I sleep on a king bed on the most expensive mattress on the market. I like to sleep on rocks and in the grass and in the woods, be with nature and carry my club around. That's fine. I want to get off this Latavius Murray wagon. I, again, I really hope he goes and sees somebody. A wagon would be an upgrade out. for you in terms of transportation. <laughs> it's full of hay, though, right? That's evolution for you to it's, go to a place, get uh, to a place where you're actually using wheels to get around. <laughs> oh, it's great. Um, anyways, Matt, I okay, we're moving on. By God, we're moving on. Caveman I, bully. I want to get to this buzzard email. The first man would like to get to this buzzard email. You can contact My the show. My sister was cross-eyed when she was born. You know that, Nate? You can you know find that? us on Twitter at SonicTruthPod. You can also find us at our email at gmail, SonicTruthPod at gmail.com. And here's a buzzard letter, first one of the year, and it's in regards to something that we said last week, probably something I said, I believe. It says, hey, Matt, did we get an answer to the question of the origin of a bone to pick? Did we? I gave you this one task. You have one task every week. It was to look up the origins of bone to pick. Did you find one? I, myself, failed at the task I was given, but luckily for us, one of our listeners, his name is Colin Hester, he did tweet the Sonic Truth Pod account, and here's what he said, Matt. He said that a bone to pick comes from an animal gnawing on a bone after the meat is gone, basically trying to get something after the substance is gone, and it's used by people who had a point to make that was refuted correctly, like the guy that keeps telling you Earth is flat, and then he says, ha, yeah, I listened to. Thanks, Colin. I don't get it. I'm not really sure either. I'm still going to go with the whole fish thing. <laughs> Just, I don't remember what I said last week either. If you have Apparently, a bone to pick, that implies that there's some angst, not that you want to revisit an argument that's already been refuted. That doesn't make sense. Maybe he's wrong. Maybe he's talking about like the game operation. You know what I mean? You get to pick which bone you pick. All right, I hate these buzzard message responses. Can we just forget it? What I like to do, my preference is to read these buzzard messages, to derail the show, to say that we're going to come back and provide answers and then never read the buzzard responses, never revisit it on the show, forget it in the past. When we bring these buzzard messages back and try to get closure, it just slows the show down. So I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to do buzzard message redux any longer. I'm done with it. 
Let's read a fresh buzzard message. All right. Second buzzard message of the year. I'm loving these. Keep sending them in. You guys can contact us. We will read them on the show if they're worthy. We'll never no, read them. No shots at me, though. I don't want to okay. read them. Go ahead and email them. SonicTruthPod at gmail.com. I'm not going to read them. And I will object if Nate wants to read them. But go ahead, Nate. You want to, you love these buzzard messages. Go ahead. Read another buzzard message. All right. Gladly. This is in regards to your C.J. Anderson comments from oh, last week. God. This is one of your opinions I can't get behind, Matt. Their college production means nothing at this point. The Broncos' run game was abysmal when he got injured. CJ was a huge part of their Super Bowl, okay. and Booker was terrible this year. Okay, all right. <laughs> Thank you for that. You're the almighty arbiter of when college production ceases to be relevant. Devontae Booker's only been in the league a year. This is why I don't want you to read these buzzard messages. These are people that do not deserve to have a conversation with us. Their level of understanding of what makes a player good and what makes a player bad is clearly much lower than ours. These people are not on our level of understanding. Interacting with them in any way is a waste of time. It's not productive. It's not good content. It's not enlightening. We're just giving a platform to people that don't know what the fuck they're talking about and are just saying things because they have some rudimentary grasp of the English language and they can string letters together into words and they can string those words together into sentences using words like Super Bowl and abysmal. Meanwhile, Devontae Booker's only been in the league a year. That's it. One year and less than a full season of production. Meanwhile, he has a lot more touches at Utah that are incredibly illuminating what we have in Devontae Booker's talent profile. You want me to ignore that information altogether? You want me to look at the smaller sample size on the Broncos with a bad offensive line and a below-average quarterback? You think that's the proper context to measure a running back and to ignore his college dominance altogether, even though he's only been in the NFL for one year? I can see ignoring LaShawn McCoy's college dominance at this point. I think we can feel free to ignore Adrian Peterson's college dominance at this point, but not Devontae Booker! I mean, did it matter with Le'Veon Bell and Matt Forte that they were incredibly dominant college producers and then went on to post ineffective statistical seasons as rookies? Are you not happy that you discounted their ineffective rookie seasons and incorporated their college dominance into your evaluation as they were headed toward their sophomore season in the NFL? Aren't you happy you did that? Wasn't that a good idea? Or should we have just ignored Matt Forte's complete dominance at Tulane, ignored Le'Veon Bell's utter dominance at Michigan State, and then just traded away Bell and Forte after their underwhelming rookie years? Would that have been a good idea? No. I wish I'd never read that. You asked me to read it, Matt. I didn't ask you to read it. You wanted to read it. You were like, we got these buzzard messages. Can't wait to get to these buzzard messages. Got a few buzzard messages. We finally have some buzzard messages. Aren't you excited about these buzzard messages? No, I'm not excited about these buzzard messages. They're the least exciting thing. These people are not at our level of football sophistication. And you're not even sophisticated. I put you in this group. 
you're a caveman. I mean, you're in medieval times. You're not even in medieval times. You're in prehistoric times. And I'm putting you in this conversation. These people are far less evolved than even you. These people aren't even human. These are like amoebas. This is primordial <laughs> soup level football understanding. Speaking of which, I want to move on to a tweet that I saw. Um, Cecil Lammy at Cecil Lammy. I'm sure you're familiar. Devontae Booker's college <laughs> resume oh is irrelevant at this point. Devontae Booker's college dominance has no bearing on his future in the NFL. It tells us nothing. Fuck out of here. Are you done? I don't want to start reading this just to get cut off three words in. I'm done. Okay. So anyways, Matt, back to what I was saying. So Cecil Lammy has reported. Who is Cecil Lammy? Who is this person? I believe he's a reporter for the Denver Broncos. But teams look. don't have reporters. Who the hell is Cecil Lammy? You know, you got to ask. Why should I care what he thinks? Because he's slightly credible. Is he? Yes, he is. He's slightly credible. Okay. I'll take your word for it. Go ahead. What did he have to say? This random person <laughs> who lives in Colorado. That's all we know about him. Hey, he lives in Colorado. His opinions must matter. I, I don't even honestly know. He probably if, doesn't think Devontae Booker's college dominance matters at all either. It, probably not, Matt, but I'm going to I'm gonna grind through this just so I can finish this sentence that I've been staring at for two straight minutes. What he said was, the Carolina Panthers have legitimate interest in Stanford running back Christian McCaffrey with the eighth overall pick in the first round. That's not true. It is being reported. I agree. It's probably not true. It seems like a bad pick in that spot. When you're in a fantasy draft and you don't want to get sniped, do you tell people who you intend to pick? Of course not. I rest my case. Fair enough. We'll let them know that Matt Kelly said it's not happening. That information is never useful. And those rumors about who teams are interested in is never accurate. I mean, sometimes they pick the player that some reporter claimed that they were interested in, but that doesn't mean that that reporter had carnal knowledge of that team's interest in player X. It was just a coincidence. They got lucky. Teams do not tell the media who they plan to draft in particular rounds. That's a fallacy that never happens, ever. And if anyone tells you they know who a team intends to draft in a particular round, they are lying. All right, Matt. Well, if I may, last week we talked about this. Last week was a kiss on the cheek, Matt. This episode, though, this episode is anal. That is what we have reached. We have reached the pinnacle. That's what this episode is. This week, we're going to talk about some of the top receivers in this class. Oh, yes. I'm not going to do the Tim the Toolman Taylor thing because if any of you listen to last week's episode, Matt did a masterpiece on the outro of <laughs> some things that I said that he's strung together. If I do a bad one, you'll do a good one. Oh, I had to. And it was great. And this week, we're going to talk about some of the top receivers in this class, Matt. And I would like to start with our unanimous number one receiver. Dun, dun, no, dun. No surprise, Corey Davis. Woo! I've used the phrase checks all the boxes probably more times than I should have in the past. I've overused that phrase, but not with Corey Davis. He checks all of the boxes. He should be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. His dominator rating at Western Michigan 
Wait for it. Wait for it. 51.6%. 96th percentile. More than half of the receiving yards and touchdowns in the passing game were accumulated by Corey Davis. And why is that? Because Corey Davis is a physical specimen, 6'3", 215. He's eventually going to be a 220-pound wide receiver in the NFL. And not only was he dominant in college, he was incredibly efficient, 16.8 college yards per reception, and an exceptionally early breakout age. As a freshman, he was a starter, and he was accumulating more than 20% of the production in the receiving game. An 18.7 breakout age is 95th percentile. This is a special player. This is a prodigy wide receiver. We haven't seen a wide receiver prospect this impressive since Amari Cooper. This is this year's Amari Cooper, Corey Davis. If Corey Davis were on Alabama, if Corey Davis were on Ohio State, he would be evaluated and graded like Amari Cooper was two years ago and viewed as a top five pick. The only reason he's not is because he went to Western Michigan and he didn't play in any high-profile college playoff games in prime time. And we always talk about this, Matt. We talked about it with Zach Zenner, and that's a not a parallel argument here. But if you're going to come from a small conference... Zach Zenner? I love Zach Zenner. Why are you bringing up Zach Zenner in the context of Corey Davis? Because Zach Zenner... You want to have anal. We were ready to have anal. We're all lubed up. And then you brought Zach Zenner into the bedroom, and now it's not going to happen. I don't know what to say. I apologize for bringing him up, but Zach Zenner is one of the most productive players to Are come out of a small school Are you doubling down on Zach Zenner? Yeah, this is like farting before we did it. I apologize. I know. I broke wind under the sheets. It was a Dutch oven. The I whole moment's ruined. I don't think you're sorry. I don't accept your apology. You continue to mention Zach Zenner and defend the fact that you mentioned him in this context for no reason, and now you're talking about Dutch ovens? the hell is wrong with you? It's a wide spectrum, Matt. Get the off, p- Zach Zenner. <laughs> Fine. The point is that if you're going to come from a smaller conference, you need to be a dominant player. That's the requisite. Number like one. Zach Zenner was. He was so dominant. But anyways, if you look at Corey Davis, 67 catches was the least amount of receptions he ever had in a single season as a college player. 67. That's more than some of these players that have been drafted in the second round in the NFL draft over the past couple years. And from that point, it only got better for him. 67, 78, 89. He finished his final year with 97 catches for 1,500 yards and 19 touchdowns. And I just like you're saying, utterly dominant player who can do just about everything on the field. We're going to talk about some players in a minute. The one thing about Corey Davis that surprises me when I watched him, is that he's not a guy who, air quotes here, plays above the rim. He's not the type of guy who is out jumping people on 50-50 balls, but he's winning on all those catches. So that's the only thing that I really saw that surprised me when you look at his his physical makeup and his frame. But Corey Davis stops on a dime, which is phenomenal for his size. And like you said, he will get up to 220 Maybe a little heavier, but that's where you want him to be. He's already 6'3". He's a big guy. Open field, second gear. If you've watched enough of him, if he makes that catch, the yards after the catch when he gets past the linebackers, gets into that secondary, he's absolutely gone. 
You know who else did not play above the defense but was completely dominant and had a physical profile very similar to Corey Davis? A guy who didn't play at a major conference school just like Corey Davis. His name's Terrell Owens. Mm. A wide receiver who should be in the Hall of Fame. Top three all time in receptions, yards, touchdowns. Corey Davis looks like Terrell Owens. No one has looked like Terrell Owens until Corey Davis has come along. We haven't had a Terrell Owens comp in the NFL until Corey Davis arrived. It's time to get excited. I'm excited to see the workout metrics. Regardless, his college production, and in particular age-adjusted college production, is going to make him the number one wide receiver in this class. And my second overall selection in Dynasty Rookie Drafts, I currently have Dalvin Cook as my 101, but soon after Dalvin Cook, number two would be Corey Davis because I think he's as close to a can't-miss wide receiver as there is. And if you watch the tape, you have to imagine that he is at least going to have average straight-line speed, average burst, and I believe exceptional size-adjusted agility. He looks fast. I don't, you know, I don't know what you're considering average for a size. Are you putting him in the four fives? Right. I think he'll run a four, four, five. I think his burst score will be around 120, 125, but I think he may go under 11 flat in the agility drills. When you look at the agility score, it's going to be exciting. His catch radius is going to be incredible. Corey Davis is the best wide receiver in this class. And I think it is like the wide receiver class two years ago where you had Amari Cooper as the clear-cut number one, and then there were a bunch of other guys. A weak wide receiver class with that one single gem sparkling at the top. And I was going to bring up, it's not necessarily a comp in their abilities, but he reminds me of Julio Jones coming out of college, the way that you watch corners and defenses try to play him. He's so fast for his size for his size and his ability to stop and his double moves that a lot of times defenses give him cushions. They're afraid he's going to get behind him. He got behind a lot of secondaries this year. I thought you said he doesn't play above the defense. Julio Jones plays above the defense. What happened to the Terrell Owens comp? Can't we agree on one comp (laughs) for, can't we agree if we're going to tout a player in an extreme way, can't we at least agree on one Hall of Famer, or in this case, future Hall of Famer, that we're going to comp this guy to, best case scenario. The Sonic Truth guys are comping Corey Davis to some holy trinity of wide receivers. Let's go comp him to Randy Moss next. He's some combination of Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, and Julio Jones. That sounds realistic, Nate. I'm just saying, I didn't say he's he's a, a jump ball player like Julio was. I'm just saying the way that you had to defend Julio because of his ability to make catches in front of defenses and behind him that's the same thing that I'm seeing with Corey Davis the respect on the field and that's what's going to make him really special when he gets in the NFL is putting him in man coverage you've got to be afraid of him getting behind the secondary just the same as you have to fear him doing something intermediate and short so I agree with you I think he's a no doubt first choice wide receiver off the board and I wouldn't argue with somebody if they felt like they wanted to take Corey Davis over Dalvin Cook in their dynasty draft sure knowing the volatility of the running back position and, you know, the potential arguments with maybe Dalvin Cook with the theory that, hey, maybe someday they bring in a big back for red zone or just silly stuff like that. Corey Davis is isolated from a lot of these problems. So either way you cut it, I don't think you go wrong. Wide receivers have a longer career. When you look at the lifetime value of a player, the wide receiver will typically have more lifetime value. So that's the argument for 
taking Corey Davis over Dalvin Cook. I have no problem doing that. And I think in terms of our conversation, talking about Corey Davis was just like talking about Dalvin Cook two shows ago. It's not that interesting. We're getting it out of the way so we can talk about the lesser known players that aren't surefire, can't miss prospects. Someone like Mike Williams is not actually a can't miss prospect despite what many scouts are saying yeah I agree Mike Williams is being touted as can't miss but I think that Corey Davis truly is the only can't miss prospect in this class right now for me I've got Mike Williams ranked as the wide receiver two wide receiver three I'd like to see the combine Um, but one thing about Mike Williams that really stands out to me in terms of traits is that the is is the way he uses his size, the way he boxes out. He plays a physical brand of football. Mike Williams, generally, if, if he makes the first tackler miss, rarely does that player make up and tackle him. In general, he's getting past him. He's getting to the next layer. And you see him just shrugging off defenders. So he is a physical guy where you watch Corey Davis, he's a little smoother. I see Mike Williams, and he's he's going to have immediate red zone appeal to a team. He's a jump ball guy. He's a box out guy. He plays above the rim. He reminds me of Allen Robinson, the way that he can jump and make catches over defenders, the way he boxes out in the red zone, the same way you watched the Jaguars use Allen Robinson last year. That's the same way I imagine Mike Williams will get deployed on the offense that he gets drafted to. Well, the similarities between Allen Robinson and Mike Williams are that they both broke out as sophomores. Mike Williams' sophomore season was more impressive than his senior season. 57 catches for over 1,000 yards and six touchdowns as a sophomore on that Clemson offense at age 19 was more impressive than what he did this past season. The reason why Mike Williams is not in the Corey Davis echelon is because that in his final year at Clemson, he made the highlight reel. He was on SportsCenter a lot. But when you did the totals and you looked at the college dominator, 27% college dominator, that's 39th percentile. A lot of people compare his career arc to Laquan Treadwell because he had that injury and then in his final year came back from that injury and was dominant on a big stage, played well in bowl games and playoff games. But when you actually did the math and summarized his statistics for the full season, you saw, oh, wow, below the 50th percentile dominator rating, that was the problem with Laquan Treadwell. The nice thing about Mike Williams, though, is that I think he's a far superior athlete to Laquan Treadwell. I think when he tests at the combine, he's going to have some impressive workout metrics, in particular the burst score. I think he's going to show incredible explosion, and his height-adjusted speed score will probably be incredibly impressive. And in that way, I think he's going to be more similar to Michael Thomas than any other prospect from the previous draft class. Michael Thomas was not dominant, but he did play in one of those elite programs, stocked with talent at Ohio State. That was one of the reasons why Michael Thomas's college dominator rating was not as impressive as many of the other wide receivers in his class because he was on Ohio State, and there were other incredibly talented receivers in that passing game. The same is true for Mike Williams at Clemson. So that's how I would rationalize away the incredibly low dominator. I'm more focused on Mike Williams' breakout age than I am his college dominator. Another big advantage to Mike Williams in terms of draft attributes for a team I'm just trying to figure out where he goes and how his style fits in. Mike Williams is going to give 
his quarterback immediately an enormous throwing window. And that's what I mean when I comped him to Allen Robinson in terms of being able to jump. He makes up for bad throws. He, he makes up for errors. And the one issue, though, that always stands out to me when I watch him is that I don't see Mike Williams gaining separation necessarily with his route prowess. He's more of a body-hands separation creator. He's back shoulder catches, and that's where he wins on these 50-50s because you find a quarterback eventually that trusts him that's going to throw these balls up, timed passes. He's going to win on a lot of these. So I'm just curious what Mike Williams does at the next level with some of these things. I expect him to be a better athlete than Laquan Treadwell. I thought Laquan Treadwell was going to be a better athlete than he was. I went down with that ship. There's no doubt. Anybody that listened to this show, I had Laquan Treadwell as the best receiver in that class. (laughs) After the combine, I adjusted a little bit, but it was surprising. I mean, honestly. I wasn't surprised. I don't think there's a lot of people that thought Laquan Treadwell was going to test like he did. It was it was atrocious, and he needs to take. No, that. the problem was after he failed at the combine, and he tested out as one of the least athletic wide receivers in the class. Draft analysts practiced cognitive dissonance, and they did not adjust their rankings accordingly. They left Laquan Treadwell posted up in the number one position on their board, and that was irrational. Now, Mike Williams needs a nice landing spot. That's the difference between Laquan Treadwell from last year and Michael Thomas from last year. Michael Thomas landed on a best-case scenario depth chart in New Orleans where he could be the biggest receiver on the wide receiver core, and he was instantly installed as the Saints' primary go-to weapon in the red zone. That's what we want for Mike Williams. We want Mike Williams to land on a team where he can instantly become their go-to receiver in the red zone and be paired with a quarterback that can make those back shoulder throws that can use his imagination to throw Mike Williams open even when no separation exists. Sam Bradford's not willing to make those throws. So the moment Laquan Treadwell landed on the Minnesota Vikings, he was doomed. The opposite was true for Michael Thomas landing on the New Orleans Saints. That was best-case scenario for him. So it's important that Mike Williams land on a team that has a quarterback that has the confidence to throw him open and leverage his athleticism in the red zone. The team that I'd really like to see him go to, I mean, there's a lot of them, but realistically where I think he goes, I think he goes to Tennessee. I'd love to see him with Marcus Mariota. I think that'd be a great pair. Wow, yes, yes, please, please, please make that happen. That's a perfect fit. They have Rashard Matthews there. He's one of the league's better flankers. Perfectly suited to play flanker at the NFL level. Great run blocker, strong hands, good in those intermediate routes, but they desperately need a proper split-end X receiver, and that is Mike Williams. And they have one of the league's better quarterbacks in Marcus Mariota. I love that fit. Who's next on our wide receiver board? Well, I'm going to segue into it using a uh, Twitter comment. From Jason Braddock. Is that right? Another Twitter comment. What is up with you just wanting to shoehorn in all these buzzard messages and comments from random nobodies on Twitter like Jason Braddock? I don't know who that is. And Cecil Lammy. Never heard of him. Go ahead, though. Go ahead. Spew your (laughs) random content from social media. Go ahead. All right. 
I got into an argument with this guy about this anyways. Uh, look, he's got a blue check next to his name. He must be legit. Oh, anyways. yes, yes. He must <laughs> know what he's talking about. Yes. Okay. Here are his top five Literally, receivers. if I had a nickel, this is literal. If I had a nickel for every know-nothing draftnik with a blue check mark next to his name, well, I'd have a couple bucks at least. Yeah, it wouldn't be a lot. But, all right, here's his top five receivers. The guy that I have at number three that I want to talk about is not in this list, and I am surprised. Number one, Corey Davis. Number two, Mike Williams. Correct, correct. Number three, John Ross. Oh, God. Number four, Cooper Cup. What? Number five, Chad Hansen. You know who's not in there, Matt? Who's Chad Hansen? Juju Smith. Should I know who Chad Hansen is? Cal. You should. Is he good? Yeah, he's pretty good. But he's going to be like a third-round receiver. He's a senior bowl guy that's been killing it. Eh. I don't pay attention to the senior bowl nonsense noise cloud. Okay, well, don't sweat it. It's not worth it. However, I want to talk about Juju Smith, Matt. I have Juju Smith as the wide receiver two, wide receiver three in this class. What? Wide receiver two? What do you mean? That's right. Wide receiver two, wide receiver three, because... What does that mean? I love Juju Smith. I had him last year as my wide receiver. Is he the wide receiver two or wide receiver three? Uh, What are you doing on this show? We're here to lay out our opinions with conviction. We're here to rank players. We're not here to make wishy-washy, mealy-mouth statements and non-ranks like my wide receiver two, three. You know what? I have Corey Davis as my wide receiver one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> Is that good content, Nate? Yeah, it's pretty funny. It made me chuckle. Here's the thing, though, Matt. I had Juju Smith as my number one receiver in that class. Well, in the draft <laughs> class is not a part of it. But in that group of receivers last year, I loved Juju Smith. He was my number one. And for good reason. If you looked at his production as a sophomore, 89 catches, 1,454 yards, 16.3 yards per reception, 10 touchdowns. He was dominant. And again, we were talking about this earlier off the air. He's barely over 20 years old. So he was 19 when he did that. His breakout age is middle of his 18-year-old age, 93rd percentile on playerprofiler.com. So Juju Smith definitely has the breakout age working in his favor. Here's the question, though, Matt. After his 2015 season when he posted such monster numbers, when you've looked at what he did in 2016, where did he end up in your ranks? He's clearly the number three receiver in this class. There's no debating this. Sorry, Jason Braddock. You don't know what you're talking about if you don't have Juju Smith-Schuster as your number three receiver. The top three wide receiver ranking is crystallized for this class. It's Corey Davis, number one. It's Mike Williams, number two. And it's Juju Smith-Schuster, number three. That's what it is. And there is no debate. And if you think it's any other order other than that exact order, you're wrong. But there's no arguing that Juju Smith-Schuster is somehow better than Mike Williams. Absolutely not. We learned our lesson with Jordan Matthews. Jordan Matthews vastly outproduced Odell Beckham Jr. in the SEC. But Jordan Matthews did it at Vanderbilt, while Odell Beckham Jr. posted a lesser dominator while sharing a field with Jarvis Landry. It's more impressive when you post big numbers from a major conference school that's always in the national championship conversation. That's Mike Williams. Mike Williams is an alpha dog. Mike Williams is going to get drafted in the first 15 picks. Scouts love Mike Williams. They don't love Juju Smith-Schuster. That all matters. I'm not chasing Jordan Matthews in the second round when the scouts have said Odell Beckham Jr. is significantly better 
and teams are looking to draft him in the first 15 picks. I'm done dying on the Jordan Matthews Hill. I'm no longer pushing players that are drafted in the second round above players drafted as one of the first selections in the draft. Not ever, not again. I'm never again going to have a Jordan Matthews ranked ahead of an Odell Beckham Jr., and I'm never going to have Juju Smith-Schuster ranked ahead of Mike Williams for that particular reason. But no other wide receiver in this class other than Corey Davis and Mike Williams has the pedigree and the resume that Juju Smith-Schuster does, particularly that sophomore season, just like Mike Williams' incredible sophomore season for Juju Smith-Schuster. Early in his age 19 season, 89 receptions? Almost 1,500 yards, 10 touchdowns in the Pac-12. Oh, God, pinch me. When you look at age-adjusted production, no one in this class other than Corey Davis is as impressive as Juju Smith-Schuster. Didn't we learn our lesson last year with Tajay Sharp? Tajay Sharp is an impressive wide receiver, and he should have been drafted rounds earlier than he was. Why? Because he was dominant at an early age at UMass. Juju Smith-Schuster was dominant at an early age at USC, and that will override all the red flags that anyone wants to throw up on Juju Smith-Schuster. I don't care if he runs slow. I don't care if he doesn't jump high. He could have Anquan Bolden-level athleticism, but the nice thing is he posted Anquan-level statistics as a sophomore, so why can't he just be the next Anquan Bolden? And if you draft the next Anquan Bolden in your rookie draft, you should be happy about that. I think that there's that USC narrative too. Okay, Nelson don't, Aguilar. Don't, don't, don't give it oh, to no, me. Oh, no, no. No, no, no. I'm sorry. No, no. I refuse it. The moment you set foot on the campus, you're poisoned and you're destined to be a failure at the NFL level. You're predisposed to NFL failure because you wore a maroon jersey because your campus happened to be located in the southern part of Los Angeles? What are we talking about here? That is the most superficial, superstitious, gibberish argument against a player that for some reason the school that he played football at is not a school that produces quality players at a particular position. That is a false narrative. It is superstitious horseshit. Anyone that provides that argument needs to be laughed off the stage. I do own some shares of Nelson Aguilar, but... They're different people! Juju Smith. They just went to the same school! Who cares? Didn't Pete Carroll go to USC? Of course. Wait, 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 so do the coaches, does the next coach at USC destined to be a Super Bowl champion just because Pete Carroll was a former head coach there? The logic ladder on this argument that players that played a particular position at a particular school are incapable of manifest destiny is absurd. I just want you to know that I'm not the one that's pushing the USC narrative. I'm just bringing it up because I think it's ridiculous. I've heard it so many times. It's not just ridiculous. It's superstitious propaganda, and anyone that believes it is a complete and utter fool. Okay, well, I'm going to get into some of the scouting information on Juju Smith. I don't want to talk about the USC thing anymore. That, that type of analysis makes us all dumber. That's why I object to it so vehemently. I object to the analysis that isn't just irrelevant anecdotal observation. It's analysis that's soaked in superstition and makes us all dumber. That's what I strongly object to. So call me crazy, 
But when I watch Juju Smith with the ball in his hands, he reminds me of Des Bryant. Oh, and I know we're always okay, confident, so guys. Okay, so now Juju Smith-Schuster is some combination of Anquan Bolden and Des Bryant. <laughs> Why can't we do show prep right and get our stories straight about which elite players we're going to best-case scenario comp these prospects to? You you said he had Anquan Bolden-like production. I'm saying physically the way he plays, he reminds me of Des Bryant. And here's why. He's not afraid of contact, and he's very physical with corners, especially after the catch. Just like Des Bryant as well, Juju Smith has that my ball mentality, and it comes in all the time when you see him competing for possessions. Juju plays inside, he plays outside, and we haven't really talked about it right now, but Juju Smith has that prototypical size. Oh, yes. 6'2", 220. He's not going to be 6'2". He's going to check in at 6'1 at the Combine. Book it. That's fine. He's going to give you that Ty Montgomery body type then. No, it's a Anquan Bolin body type. Get out of here. I mean, get out of here. That's what he is. He's going to be slow. He's not going to be explosive. He's going to be Anquan Bolden, and that's just fine. I think Juju Smith is going to impress you then if you expect him to to check the boxes that Anquan Bolden checked in terms of athleticism. I'm just getting out ahead of this now. People are going to call him Laquan Treadwell because he's not going to run fast, and I'm getting way out ahead of it. He's much better than Laquan Treadwell ever was. For sure. He's going to be a way better athlete than Laquan Treadwell was, and in terms of his abilities on the field right now, He's probably right there with what Laquan Treadwell was because Treadwell was a good college player. The athleticism was a huge hindrance when he got to the next level. And obviously the depth chart in Minnesota and the way things break in Minnesota, we watched Cordero Patterson die for years in the background because they said he was a sloppy route runner. I mean, we watch guys like Adam Thielen rise to the top in that offense. We watch Stephon Diggs, late round draft picks rise in that offense. And I'm not saying Laquan Treadwell won't get there, but that's a system where they really expect the wide receivers to be ready to play in the national football league. And Laquan Treadwell obviously wasn't, I don't know how many snaps he played last year, but it was far less than I would have bet you that he would have played before the season started. So back to Juju Smith, Matt. I think Juju Smith is solidly, at the absolute least, the third wide receiver in this class. And I think this is He's where there's... just the number three receiver. Just say it. Just say it. Just say Corey Davis is number one, that that's set in stone, that's concrete, that Mike Williams is number two, that that's set in stone, that that's concrete, that that's immovable, and that Juju Smith-Schuster is most definitely the number three wide receiver, no better, no worse. Just state that, and we can move on to the next wide receiver. That's fine. That's that's probably fair. Say My, it. Say he's the number three wide receiver. No. What about John Ross? It. Where do you have John Ross? <laughs> um, it's kind of tough. I think after the third wide receiver, I've sort of got again. I've got a bit of a fluid ranking. Well, can I think, you come up with a ranking system? Can you please I, give us some sort of definitive answer to a question? John Ross has to be in that wide receiver four, wide receiver five category. Yes, absolutely, because this is a weak class. And the weakness is not illustrated in the form of Corey Davis or Mike Williams or Juju Smith-Schuster. Those are three premium prospects. The problem is after Juju, there's a significant drop in class. You have essentially a five-star prospect, two four-star prospects, and then when you drop down to a John Ross, you're starting to get into three-star prospects. John Ross is an exciting field stretcher someone like Kenny Stills that's what I look at when I see John Ross someone who's going to run a sub four flat 40 
He's going to be in the 4-3-5 zone. It's going to be exciting to see what John Ross's measurables are. He might comp close to John Brown, and that's good. That's going to make him the number four receiver in this class. He takes the top off defenses. That's what he is, but I don't believe he has the size or the nuance to be a true number one primary option for an NFL team. I think he's going to be a secondary field stretcher and someone that you should be looking to draft in the early second round of rookie drafts. My number five pick. See, that's the thing. I don't think anyone wants to hear from you anymore because you apparently haven't thought through your rankings. I don't even know why you would talk at all for the rest of the show because apparently I'm the only one that's thought my rankings through and have a set list of players ordered in a concrete way where I can definitively go down my list of who I have where and number five is Taewon Taylor. I'm not interested in where you have Taewon Taylor because apparently you have Taewon Taylor somewhere between wide receiver four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. And yeah, that's really helpful, Nate. I have Taewon Taylor at number five for now. I don't know how he's going to test, so that could change at the Combine. But for now, this guy was dominant at Western Kentucky. 38.6% college dominator, 75th percentile, an incredible yards per reception, 17.7, and an average breakout age. But Taewon Taylor needs to put on weight. If he can add 10 pounds, because on Pro Football Reference, he's 191. If he can somehow check in at 201, then I'm excited. If he checks in at 201 and... He has upper percentile athleticism across the board. Then he's going to look a lot like Josh Doxson did last year. Then I'm really excited. So that's best case scenario for Taewon Taylor that he shreds the combine a la Josh Doxson. If he doesn't, he's going to fall in my rankings significantly. Should I just move on to the next guy because you don't know where you have anybody? You've just mushed them all together and you have no conviction about anyone. You haven't put any thought into this exercise. Or do you want to talk about some of these players? I'm just surprised for the guy that gave me crap all last year for having rankings pre-combine that you have these solid rankings. I'm the guy with the fluid rankings pre-combine, and you're the guy who's got these rock-solid rankings. So I I'm took just a lash up. Actually, these are just the order in which I pulled up my browsers. I actually don't oh know where God. I would have these guys until the combine. I'm just making this uh, up that I have any kind of conviction about these you. pre-combine rankings. This just happens to be the order of the tabs that I pulled up. I don't know where the hell I have John Ross. I don't know if Taiwan Taylor is a top five wide receiver. He's just the guy who was on my screen, Nate. You are a backtracking son of a bitch. Let me tell you one thing, though. I'm about- a two-faced podcaster. <laughs> we should change the name of this podcast. It's not the Sonic Truth. It's the Sonic Lies. Sonic Two-Faced Liars. I thought you were going to go with something Bully about and a liar. That's what it is. It's oh a my sonic God. bully and liar. We're the bully and liar show. Better than a caveman, I guess. Making fun of people that are cross-eyed and stating bold-faced lies about player rankings. Can I say one thing about Taewon Taylor while we're talking about him? One thing that is super impressive that is on his profile is the second game that they played this year He's when really they went good. into Alabama. Excellent. They took a loss, he did well. but he did have nine catches for 121 yards Woo! against arguably the most star-studded defense in college football on the road. That's an impressive game. You know, we talk about Where'd again, you learn that phrase star studded, by the way? That was a professional phrase. You ripped that phrase off of ESPN or Fox. Where did you <laughs> oh learn that star studded? Hey, maybe I'm just elevating wow. that. that. Thanks, was... man. I appreciate Oof. it. 
That was the, television polished right there. It's one thing to beat up on small school competition. It's another when you get that out of conference game and it's against the consensus number one team year over year over year. A star studded roster, in fact. Star studded, and you drop a nine for 121 Woof. on them. In the second week of the year, you don't even have so everything good. going for you yet. This isn't week 10 or 11. This is week two in Alabama. An impressive game. And yet, same thing that you were saying. He is an impressive player. Um, I'm curious to see what he does at the Combine. This is one of those guys where his production at the Combine is going to be very important towards his draft position. Um, I just I wish to- he was younger, just like John Ross, just like Mike Williams. I don't like the fact that they're coming out as seniors. They're 22 years old. This is why I like Juju Smith-Schuster. We have a guy that's coming out early, and he was precocious in college. John Ross, not precocious. John Ross did not produce at all until his senior season. And Taewon Taylor did not produce as a sophomore at Western Kentucky. That's the red flag on the Taewon Taylor profile other than his low BMI. The fact that he did nothing in 2014 as a sophomore for Western Kentucky? It wasn't a terrible year, but it's not what you would expect. I mean, as a sophomore, still 700 yards as a sophomore for Western Kentucky. Who else was in that passing game? Jared Dangerfield. He was outproduced by Jared Dangerfield, Nate. I know that Jared Dangerfield doesn't get any respect as a wide receiver, but we're talking about Jared fucking Dangerfield, man. Come on. Outproduced Jared Dangerfield as a sophomore. Why don't you try doing that, Taewon Taylor? Love you, Taewon. Love you. I also love KD Cannon. I want to talk about KD Cannon because KD Cannon is available in the third round of Dynasty Rookie Drafts, according to the mocks that I'm seeing, and I don't understand it. KD Cannon is going to test well at the Combine. He went to Baylor. Baylor was illegally recruiting the best athletes in the country. That's how they got Corey Coleman. Did you see how Corey Coleman tested? Well, KD Cannon's going to test well as well, and KD Cannon was a precocious producer while he was at Baylor, surrounded by other incredibly talented skill position players in the passing game, over a thousand yards with eight touchdowns as a true freshman. How is Katie Cannon not at least a second round rookie pick? I have no idea. If I'm drafting in the late second round of a rookie draft and Katie Cannon is still there, I'm pushing the button on this guy. Katie Cannon is the guy that could rise above everybody else and become one of the more popular players in this draft class. Yeah, he all the way back to his freshman year, 1,000-yard season, 17.8 yards per reception. He's a big play player, six foot, 180, kind of a thin frame. Curious to see what he comes into the combine and measures out at. This is another one of those guys where you'd like to see him put on weight. Yes. He could get by in the you know the mid-190s. It, it would be nice to see him put on about 15. I imagine he's going to show up to the combine in the mid to high 180s, but you'd like to see him put on a little weight. As a junior, though, 87 catches, 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns. I know that the air raid offense in Baylor – a lot of people want to shoot this kind of thing down. Same thing that they did to people in Cal. It's what they said Jared Goff's numbers were elevated by. But this is the one guy, if I was going to pick one of these later round sort of push to the side players to rise. And I expect him to test really well at the combine. So it's going to be tough 
to get him as a sneaky late pick, but I'm with you. He probably ends up being an early second round pick in Dynasty. We'd like to see Taewon Taylor put on weight. We'd like to see Katie Cannon put on weight, but there's one wide receiver that needs to put on weight more than anyone else by far and away. If this guy can put on 20 pounds, oh, I would be so excited to get him on my team. Josh Reynolds. Because he has the height. He's 6'4 on Pro Football Reference, which means he's probably going to check in at 6'3 at the Combine. And he's coming out early. He produced at a young age, true freshman year at Texas A&M, 842 yards, 13 touchdowns on 16.3 yards per reception. Wow, 16.3 yards per reception, then 17 yards per reception, then 17 yards per reception again. Just a downfield playmaker in two of his three years, double-digit touchdowns. And then last year, over 1,000 yards as well. So he was the focal point of the offense, was dominant in the red zone, and he's 6'4". If he somehow tests well and puts on 10 to 20 pounds, he's going to rise quickly. He could be a first-round rookie pick if things break right in the next couple months for Josh Reynolds. So he's my potential high-riser wide receiver Things have to fall into place. I hope he's eating a lot and working out. Please, Josh, get your body bigger and as explosive as possible before the combine so I can be as excited as possible. But for now, I definitively have you as my number seven wide receiver on the board. I'm not... Oh my God. After admitting that it's just a shuffled loose amount of papers over there. Katie Cannon at number six, Taewon Taylor at number five. At number eight, I have Cooper Cup. Now, Cooper Cup is rising above Taewon Taylor, above Katie Cannon, above Josh Reynolds. People love Cooper Cup. Why? Because he had a great senior bowl or he had a great shrine bowl or whatever the fuck bowl he went to where he was making plays in practice. I can't believe these sucker draft analysts get excited about watching players in practice posting vines of fucking practice. Such a circle jerk exercise going to the senior bowl watching practice. Cooper Cup. He's fine. He has a 40% dominator rating. That's great. But he's also 24 years old. His breakout age, 20.2, was 55th percentile. His yards per reception was not impressive. His college dominator was very good, but it wasn't exceptional for a small school player. Eastern Washington better have a 40% dominator rating at Eastern Washington. So Cooper Cup needs to wow us at the Combine for me to be interested at all. And no, I'm not going to be going back and looking at his Senior Bowl practice vines when I decide who I'm going to draft in Dynasty Rookie Drafts. These 
sucker draft analysts get excited about watching players in practice posting vines of fucking practice. Such a circle jerk exercise. Connor Cup. Retake that. Say Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup. The most star-studded defense in college football on the road. That's an impressive game. You know, we talk about Where'd again. Where'd you learn that phrase star-studded, by the way? That was a professional phrase. You ripped that phrase off of ESPN or Fox. Where'd you <laughs> oh learn God. that star-studded? We were ready to have anal. We're all lubed up. And then you brought Zach Zenner into the bedroom. And now it's not going to happen. I don't know what to say. I apologize for bringing him up, but Zach Zenner is one of the most productive players to Are come out of a small school Are you doubling down on position. Zach Zenner? Yeah, this is like farting before we did it. I apologize. I know. I broke wind under the sheets. It was a Dutch oven. The I whole moment's ruined. Sorry. I don't accept your apology. You continue to mention Zach Zenner and defend the fact that you mentioned him in this context for no reason, and now you're talking about Dutch ovens? These people are not at our level of football sophistication. And you're not even sophisticated. These people are far less evolved than even you. These people aren't even human. These are like amoebas. This is primordial (laughs) soup level football understanding. Are you done? Juju at 2-3, Mike Williams 2-3, and I've got Corey Davis alone at the top. Wait, 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 wait. There's a debate with you between Corey Davis and Juju? No, 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 no. Corey Davis is alone at one. Okay, okay. There, There's a debate for me right now. No, no sorry. Mike Williams and Juju? Really? Kind of. Yeah, a little wow. bit. Not, I don't think overall. I'd like to see the combine. I, I don't think overall. Again, I want to go back, like I said, and look at Juju 2015-2016. And I, I was going to bring this up on the show. But if Juju Smith, and he couldn't, if he would have come out after his sophomore year, he would have been arguably the top receiver in the draft. New information has come to light, man. I love Juju Smith-Schuster, but I'm not taking him over Mike Williams. You fucking insane. Are you done? Played in one of those top five every year making the championship game teams. Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. And there's more competition for targets on those teams that are stacked with talent. The Dominator needs to be discounted a bit and believe that he's going to be drafted ahead of Corey Davis. Then the draft capital comes into play. So if Juju Smith-Schuster is not going to be drafted in the first round, but Mike Williams goes in the top 15, you can't put Juju ahead of him. I've learned my lesson doing this. Every year, I stake my claim on a guy that has a super early breakout age, like a Jordan Matthews, right? How many people died on that hill of Jordan Matthews over a guy like Odell Beckham Jr.? Not as dominant, but played at LSU instead of Vanderbilt, which helps to explain the dominance. And the scouts told you this Odell Beckham Jr. is special. They're telling us this Mike Williams guy is special. But Juju was incredibly underwhelming in his final season. That's a big deal. Well, there's a lot of stuff to it. He had back injuries. He had a different quarterback. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that changed. Please, you can't please, just... please make excuses. Please rationalize away Juju Smith-Schuster to the point where you're taking him over Mike Williams and letting me have Mike Williams at I'm, pick five. Please let that I've happen. Not... Are you done? Like, I basically gave up LaShawn McCoy or Des Bryant or Rob Gronkowski to get two guys that you advocated for, but in the end, you're saying those two guys I advocated for are worth even less than the next group. Are relatively less valuable than the next crop of assets. Wait a second. 
this is how you lose in Dynasty, where you trade valuable assets of the present for diminished value assets in the future. That's the best possible formula for losing in Dynasty League football. Exactly. Making fun of people's personal traits. I would never do that. He laughed at it, though. That is true. You're not going to stop it because you're a caveman, and I'm a sophisticated individual. That's oh the difference God. between the two of us. Okay, you uh, sleep outside. So I sleep on a king bed on the most expensive mattress on the market. I want to get off this Latavius Murray wagon. I, again, I really hope he goes and sees somebody. A wagon would be an upgrade out. for you in terms of transportation. <laughs> it's full of hay, though, right? That's evolution for you to it's, go to a place, get to uh, a place where you're actually using wheels to get around. <laughs> it wasn't a joke about his his visual. Yes, it was. You know, no, it might yes, have been a little. Li- you're bit. lying right now. You're lying. You were just making fun of a guy because he's cross-eyed. You were not actually concerned about his vision. So you agree, he's cross-eyed. You can contact my the show. sister. Was cross-eyed when she was born. You know that, Nate. Are you done? Jared Dangerfield. He was outproduced by Jared Dangerfield, Nate. Outproduced Jared Dangerfield as a sophomore. Why don't you try doing that, Taewon Taylor? Love you, Taewon. Are you done? But for now, I definitively have you as my number seven wide receiver on the board. I'm not. Oh my god. After admitting that it's just this shuffled loose amount of papers over there. Katie Cannon at number six, Taewon Taylor at number five. Exactly. Making fun of people's personal traits. I would never do that. He laughed at it though. That is true. You're not gonna stop it. Because you're a caveman. And I'm a sophisticated individual. That's oh my the difference god. between the two of us. Okay, you uh. sleep outside. So I sleep on a king bed. On the most expensive mattress on the market. I want to get off this Latavius Murray wagon. I, again, I really hope he goes and sees somebody. A wagon would be an upgrade out. for you in terms of transportation. <laughs> it's full of hay, though, right? That's evolution for you to it's, go to a place, get uh, to a place where you're actually using wheels to get around. <laughs> it wasn't a joke about his his visual. Yes, it was. You know. No, it might have been a little You're lying right now. You're lying. You were just making fun of a guy because he's cross-eyed. You were not actually concerned about his vision. So you agree he's cross-eyed. You can contact the show. My sister was cross-eyed when she was born. You know that, Nate? Or should we have just ignored Matt Forte's complete dominance at Tulane, ignored Le'Veon Bell's utter dominance at Michigan State, and then traded away... Bell and Forte after their underwhelming rookie years. Would that have been a good idea? No. Are you done? I love Zach Zenner. Why are you bringing up Zach Zenner in the context of Corey Davis? Are you done? Who the hell is Cecil Lammy? I'll take your word for it. Go ahead. What did he have to say? This random person. I wish I'd never read that. And if anyone tells you they know who a team intends to draft in a particular round, they are lying. Are you done? I love Juju Smith. I had him last year as my wide well, receiver. Is he the one. wide receiver two or wide receiver three? In the what words are you of- doing on this show? We're here to lay out our opinions with conviction. We're here to rank players. 
We're not here to make wishy-washy, mealy-mouthed statements and non-ranks like my wide receiver 2-3. You know what? I have Corey Davis as my wide receiver 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10. <laughs> Sorry Jason Braddock, you don't know what you're talking about if you don't have Juju Smith-Schuster as your number 3 receiver. 89 receptions, almost 1500 yards, 10 touchdowns in the Pac-12. Oh god. Hinch me. Are you done? The school that he played football at is not a school that produces quality players at a particular position. That is a false narrative. It is superstitious horseshit. And anyone that provides that argument needs to be laughed off the stage. The logic ladder on this argument that players that played a particular position at a particular school are incapable of manifest destiny is absurd. It's superstitious propaganda, and anyone that believes it is a complete and utter fool. Are you done? That's fine. He's going to give you that Ty Montgomery body type then. No, it's a Equad Bowling body type. Just say Corey Davis is number one, that that's set in stone, that's concrete, that Mike Williams is number two, that that's set in stone, that that's concrete, that that's immovable, and that Juju Smith-Schuster is most definitely the number three wide receiver, no better, no worse. Just state that and we can move on to the next wide receiver. That's fine. That's that's probably fair. Say My it. Say he's the number three wide receiver. No. Should I just move on to the next guy because you don't know where you have anybody? You've just mushed them all together and you have no conviction about anyone? You haven't put any thought into this exercise? Or do you want to talk about some of these players? Are you done? We're the Bully and Liar Show. Better than a caveman, Making fun I guess. Of people that are cross-eyed and stating bold-faced lies about player rankings. Actually, these are just the order in which I pulled up my browsers. I actually don't oh know where God. I would have these guys until the combine. I'm just making this uh, up to have any kind of conviction about these pre-combine rankings. This just happens to be the order of the tabs that I pulled up. We should change the name of this podcast. It's not the Sonic Truth. It's the Sonic Lies. Are you done? Surprised you didn't know this. Vine is gone. It's no longer. It's not a thing anymore. So you're not going to be seeing any more Vines. Wait, Vine is shut down? Vine is shut down. Wait, they, they got... closed Vine? Yeah, they closed it down. You know, it was real sad. Well, I... How do you do a video on Twitter now? I don't know. I oh, haven't wow, done I one. I went to Vine.com, and it redirected me to Soap.com. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wait, Cooper Cup is white? Yes. Cooper Cup. Nobody wants Team White wide receiver, okay? God knows I don't. Cooper Cup. I do not watch clips from the Senior Bowl practices because they don't matter. Senior wow. Bowl activities. If you're a junior, you don't get invited to these events and you don't get the unreasonable hype. Have they started with the Ed McCaffrey comps yet? Because you, that's coming, right? Cooper Cup is going to qualify for Social Security in a couple years. <laughs> Cooper Cup. This How many the other Coopers day? do you know? And if you know any, how many of them aren't <laughs> douchebags? Most ridiculous hype train I've seen in years. Cooper Cup. People are going to draft Cooper Cup in rookie drafts ahead of players like KD Cannon. You know that, right? Cooper Cup. The hell out of here. Draft Twitter should be ashamed of itself. 
Cooper Cup. Please. Are you done? Yeah.